show, we got Derek Broussard. Is Derek Broussard the final piece in the Penguins' three-peat puzzle? That's Derek Broussard at 4.30 right here on the X. Also, it's being reported that the Steelers will cut safety Mike Mitchell next week. Delete! 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 I was at the Mario Lemieux Fantasy Camp today. Ty Domi's team won. Coached by Trottier. Ty and Trotz, they always win. What a great time it was seeing all those great names and great guys. Which is why today's show isn't as prepared as usual. But I will make do with your help. This is the Mark Madden Show. Just dial 412-333-WXDX to go one-on-one with the great one. That's 412-333-WXDX. Mario was there, of course. He said no media at first, but he relented. I talked to Kevin Stevens, who played through lace bite and even scored a goal in the final. Trottier, Pierre LaRouche, Jay Caulfield. I talked to Paul Coffey, who can still fly. Colby Armstrong, who played defense and who cannot play defense. The aforementioned Ty Domi, who plays with a toque instead of a helmet. Joe Mullen was out there. Randy Hillier was coaching. Jimmy Kittleberger, the trainer. EJ was coaching. Thanks to Nancy Angus from the Mario Lemieux Foundation, I could not have had more fun. Now, the one team had a ringer, Austin Lemieux, Mario's son. He's a red shirt at Arizona State who are just starting Division I hockey. Austin's at least 6'4". He's filling out, finally, maybe a buck ninety now. Austin's going to make an impact at a high level. You watch. He'll be a redshirt freshman at Arizona State next year, and I bet he does well. So that was fun. We're going to have more fun at Cal's Cantina tomorrow night in McKeesport. McKeesport is hockey town. I will be at Cal's for a Penguins viewing party. Penguins at Toronto. The puck drops at 7 p.m. So meet me at Cal's tomorrow night for a viewing party that is also an informal McKeesport deck hockey night. Deck hockey rink right up the road. You know where they're not having fun? In the Pitt Athletic Office. They fired Kevin Stallings. He was the men's basketball coach. And they owe Stallings, according to his contract, a $9.4 million buyout. But Pitt saying Stallings got fired for cause because he yelled at a heckler at Louisville and they want to pay him only $4.8 million. That is absolute horse manure. Total crap. Pitt Athletics are without pride, without dignity, and especially without honesty. Pitt didn't even care when Stallings did what he did at Louisville. He yelled at a fan, so what? There was no internal discipline at the time. I know that for a fact. But now Pitt cares because they're trying to crook Stallings. Pitt has no shame. Pitt should be embarrassed, but Pitt is beyond embarrassment. Pitt is petty. Tom Petty. Somebody needs to sit down with Heather Like, the AD, and especially with all those old guard 
big money, pit sports boosters, the old Golden Panther crowd, and somebody needs to explain to those jamokes that pit sports barely matter in this town anymore, and by pulling lame kindergarten crap like trying to screw Stallings, Pitt digs the hole even deeper. A lot of Pitt boosters are putting forth the cause of Heather Lake, the relatively new AD, what a great person she is. Well, by participating in this, she's not a great person. Heather Lake is just another crook. They brought in the female AD to show how progressive they were, but she's just another crook. Coaches are still going to want to coach Pitt if it means a bigger payday, but if better options are available, coaches will pursue those because you can't trust Pitt. Look at what Pitt is doing to Stallings, attempting to. It's a big cheat job. If I were Stallings, I would want every dime. I'd see Pitt in court. Now, if it was a basketball court, Pitt would lose. But so would Stallings. Probably be a scoreless tie. Nil-nil, as we say in football. Uh, There's a controversy on Twitter because the Pirate Parrot was at some political function. What is the Pirate Parrot doing at some political function? Why would they... Oh, wait, maybe he was campaigning for animal rights. Seattle did release Richard Sherman the Jagoff cornerback who blew out his Achilles, he'll probably go to the Patriots and say, yes, sir, no, sir. The Flyers lost again last night, 3-2 at Boston. It was wonderful, yes. Marshawn scored for Boston from right in front with 22 seconds left. That's five losses in a row for Philadelphia. I would love to see Philadelphia Drop totally out of the playoffs. They're just six points from safety. Then again, the Penguins are just nine points from safety, despite currently leading the Metropolitan Division. Things are still very, very tight. Uh, Peter Morazic, the goalie, who got traded from Detroit to Philadelphia, he got his mask painted with Flyers colors and logo, etc. And it says Broad Street Bullies and 1975. I guess it's a tribute, but if I'm the Flyers goalie, the last thing I paint on my mask is 1975. Uh, Washington lost at Los Angeles last night, the Kings. So the Penguins are in first place in the Metro. A point in front of Washington. The Caps have a game in hand. Three points in front of Philadelphia, and the Flyers do not have a game in hand on Pittsburgh. I saw Foreigner last night at the Palace Theater in Greensburg. Totally sold out. Very good show. Kelly Hansen, uh, who replaced Lou Graham, is one of the best front men I've ever seen in rock. It was just a, a tremendous performance by the assembled for Foreigner without Mick Jones. Mick's the only remaining original member, and he always says he's sick or his medication's failing because he has heart problems. It's amazing how... The medication never fails, and Lou never feels sick when Foreigner plays a big town with a big arena. The little towns he doesn't make, but but that's okay. Because these guys, like Kelly Hansen's been in Foreigner for a long time. Jeff Pilsen, it's a great band. Very good show. 
Oh, I forgot to mention, there's a local school of rock, like the movie, Jack Black, that teaches kids how to play rock music, and the kids from the school opened for the Michael Schenker group on Wednesday in Homestead, and they were good. I'm talking kids in their teens. Great stuff. Iron Maiden, Sabbath, Velvet Revolver. It was just very entertaining. Tomorrow's an early morning for yours truly and a tense morning. Liverpool FC at Manchester United, 7.30 a.m. United in second, Liverpool just two points behind in third place. So come on, you Reds. And then Cal's Cantina tomorrow night, that's a full day. As we spoke about on the program uh, yesterday, I think, there might be a Sopranos prequel, a movie based on the HBO series that goes back to Johnny and Junior in the 60s. And I said, how would that work? Why would people want to watch that? It would be all new actors and only one familiar character, Uncle Junior. But David Chase would be involved, the creator, and somebody pointed out to me that Star Trek kept reinventing itself over and over with new characters, and it kept working. That's a good point. People forget the original Star Trek TV series only ran three seasons from 1966 through 1969 and did not draw great ratings. But it was campy, and it became a cult, and now it's going to go on forever. We got a full show today. Like I said, Derek Broussard is on at 4.30 p.m., the Penguin Center. And up next, we're going to talk about Mike Mitchell, the Steelers' safety, or maybe the former Steelers' safety. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network reports Mitchell will be cut by the Steelers next week. A big part of that decision is money, with Mitchell making $5 million per year. Mitchell's a dick. He's a jerk. I want to go over why I dislike him so much, but... It's probably the same reason you dislike him so much. He celebrates tackles he makes 15 yards down the field. I actually retweeted a video of, of, of an example of that. Check that out on my Twitter page, at X. But before you celebrate Mike Mitchell being cut, keep in mind, they br- may bring Mitchell back for less money. And if they don't, who's plan B? That's always the thing to consider. Who's plan B? Who plays safety in place of Mike Mitchell? So I want your thoughts on Mitchell getting cut, 412-333-WXDX. I want your thoughts on the scumbag pit athletic department and administration that's trying to crook Kevin Stallings out of half his buyout because he yelled at a fan in Louisville. Remember when he did that? Oh, we don't play our players $100,000. People thought that was funny. People thought he was sticking up for his program. Pitt at the time, had no problem with what Stallings did. But now they want to crook him. What a bunch of cheating, lying, low-rent, no-class, don't-win scumbags. If they won, you could excuse all the other stuff, but it's the don't-win part that really drives home what scumbags they are. If you're a scumbag and it works, that's one thing. They're scumbags and it doesn't. Uh, the Penguins visit Toronto tomorrow night. Austin Matthews, the Leafs superstar, has a shoulder problem, so he probably won't play, and that makes that game much more winnable. I'd like to see the Penguins just keep winning games. 
Up next, more about the Steelers reportedly set to cut Mike Mitchell next week. We got Derek Broussard at 4.30. Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette talking Penguins before that at 3.30. The king of old school, John Steigerwald at 5.15. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. All hail Finn, all hail Mark Madden. I think that says a lot about my integrity. I love it. I think it's great. Achtung, baby. The X at 105.9. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network is reporting that the Steelers will cut safety Mike Mitchell next week, but the Steelers might be amenable to bringing back Mike Mitchell at a lower price. Mitchell is scheduled to make $5 million in 2018. You know, if they do sign Le'Veon Bell, well, if he stays on the franchise tag at 14.5 mil, does Mike Mitchell realize they're taking his money to give it to Le'Veon Bell? That's kind of how it works out, isn't it? Uh, I understand why you might bring the guy back at a cheaper price because who's going to play safety if Mitchell leaves? But I'd just as soon let Mitchell go, period. Mitchell started 60 games for the Steelers in four years. He defended 23 passes and made four interceptions and recovered four fumbles. Those numbers aren't terrible, but they are no better than mediocre and probably subpar. And Mitchell was certainly no bonus against the run. I saw a video today on Twitter that typifies Mitchell's tenure with the Steelers. Leonard Fournette of Jacksonville, the running back. Fournette rips off an 11-yard gain, passes the sticks, runs over Mitchell as he gets to the sticks, and Mitchell jumps up and celebrates the hit. I retweeted that last hour. Let's review. Nothing went right for the Steelers in this particular video clip. They conceded 11 yards in the first down. Mitchell got run over. Run over! And yet Mitchell jumps up and indulges his ego. That right there is Mike Mitchell 100%. Check out my Twitter, at MarkMaddenX, and see if you don't agree. Now, a few defenders of Mitchell on Twitter, doing about as good a job defending him, as Mitchell did defending for the Steelers, they said, well, you can see Fournette wave on Mitchell, and Mitchell tackled him, and he celebrated. What, Fournette, like, waved him to come make the tackle? I didn't see that, but let's just say he did. Let's say Fournette dared Mitchell to hit him. Fournette still ran him over after an 11-yard gain and a first down. Mike Mitchell got the better of that in no way, shape, or form. The Steelers got the better of that in no way, shape, or form. And it happened all the time. Mitchell celebrated hits, made downfield after big opposition games all the time. And then you got Mitchell menacing the Jacksonville locker room before the playoff game, which is to say before Jacksonville kicked the Steelers' ass again. My God, get this guy, Mike Mitchell, F-O-H. But what is plan B? I don't know. Who replaces Mike Mitchell? I don't know. Mark Caballi of TheAthletic.com tweeted, I'd keep Mitchell if I'm the Steelers. Nobody on the roster is as good as him, and there's not much in free agency. 
If you were hoping he comes back on the cheap, you were taking a chance. I'm going to split the difference with what Kabali said and what my original thought was. I might bring him back on the cheap. I wouldn't miss him one bit if he left, period. I might bring Mike Mitchell back on the cheap, and by cheap I mean very cheap. But there's no way I'm paying that guy $5 million, especially when the Steelers are in a bit of a predicament cap-wise. No way I'm paying Mike Mitchell $5 million. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I posted two more trailers for the YouTube original series, Cobra Kai. Uh, That's on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. Cobra Kai has William Zabka and Daniel LaRusso. Wait, not Ralph Macchio reprising their roles from the Karate Kid movie franchise. Uh, Macchio as Daniel LaRusso and William Zabka as Johnny Lawrence from Cobra Kai. These trailers are hilarious. Uh, Daniel-san and Johnny and some other guy are talking, and the other guy says to Daniel-san, oh, this is the guy. You kicked his ass. And Daniel-san says, if you want to get technical, I kicked his face. Use the crane, Danny boy. Whammy. Now, you see, that shows how cool I am. I just quoted not one, not two, but Karate Kid 3. Use the crane, Danny boy. 1059 the X. This is Connor Sherry of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 1059 the X. Last season, Mike Mitchell had two passes defended. No interceptions and one fumble recovery in an entire season. I backtracked. I would say I would bring him back at a lower salary. Now nah, just get rid of this jerk. You know who will play? Safety if he doesn't? Somebody else. Joining us now, he covers hockey for the Post-Gazette. Penguins are at Toronto tomorrow night. He may or may not be there. Right now he's pulled over in a blizzard driving to Toronto. It's Jason Mackey. Mackey, what's going on with the weather? It sounds uh, sounds bleak. It's a little less than ideal, Mark, and it was weird to hear you call me Mackey. It's always Mackay. I've gotten used to that. Yeah, but I, I went right from saying Jason Mackey to saying your name again, so you're right. Well, I make mistakes as well. Hey, will the Penguins win the Metro Division, and how much will it help if they do? Part of me doesn't think it matters. Part of me thinks, well, maybe it might. Well, you know, I think it matters some, Mark, but I look at this more in a realistic sense, and I think they have as good of a shot as anybody. Uh, Washington is not playing terribly well right now, and if you you would have asked me that same question two or three weeks ago, I would say that the Capitals were their main competitor. And Right now, it looks like the Caps are going in the toilet. The Blue Jackets have a really uh, favorable schedule coming up, but I think they're awfully far behind. Um, Flyers, I've not been terribly impressed by, and the only team left really is Jersey. So uh, at this point, I think they have a very, very good shot. And I'll say this, uh, it doesn't hurt. I don't think it's essential, but it certainly doesn't hurt the way they've played at times on the road. Derek Broussard will be on the program a bit later this afternoon. Is it just me, or has Broussard's adjustment period been a bit slow? Him and Kessel haven't quite meshed, have they? No, they haven't. They haven't. I actually wrote about that, and you'll probably talk about it with him as well. And yeah, you know, I think there are some extenuating circumstances 
too, Mark. I mean, that line has had Dominic Simone and like a rotten Connor Sherry on it, too. So, I mean, that third wheel hasn't been all that great or responsible defensively. And I wonder how much Broussard is putting that on his own shoulders, which I think is one of the reasons we saw Riley Singer that today. It's going to free Broussard up a little bit. Uh, he's, he's trying to stay positive, Broussard is, and I, I don't blame him. I think a lot of people probably hoped that it would have happened sooner than it did, but you know Phil. He's not an easy guy to play with. It took Shane some time. It took Benino some time. So I'm certainly not alarmed by it, but I do think Broussard would like to kind of get his offensive game going here soon. No, I'm not alarmed by it at all either, and I'm also considering that 1-3-1 trap they play in Ottawa, switching from the Senators to the Penguins, is probably the biggest culture shock a player could have experienced at the trade deadline. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, going from three yards in a cloud of dust to running five wide every time. And Broussard's admitted that. You know, times where he had to, like, peel back and, and worry about sort of more defensive stuff, the Penguins don't want that happening, obviously. And like I said, with his line mates, and, um, you know, I think those are the three things, really. The Ottawa adjustment, the line mates, and then playing with Phil just, you know, forget about coming from Ottawa. Phil wants the puck a certain way. He's demanding and wants to attack. And Chance or Broussard rather is trying to figure all that out. So again, I mean, you could give him ten games, and if it's still a little ho hum, I, I still I don't think I'd be alarmed. How long will it be till any of the injured guys get back, Mackay? What's the update on them? Yeah, uh, Rust has a concussion. Very tough to say with that one. I wasn't surprised given that hit. Um, Dominic Simone's week to week, so you know, in, in Mike Sullivan terms, we're looking at at least two weeks. Um, I have not seen Zach Aston skate, but as I understand it, there's still an expectation for him to be back before the start of the playoffs. He would probably have to start skating soon for that to happen. Um, Matt Murray's making pretty decent progress here, taking shots today uh, was a big step for him. You figure, you know, he's going to take them tomorrow. I would imagine keep building on it. I think next week is probably the most realistic timetable. So at this point, it's probably Murray and slightly behind him, Rust, um, assuming Rust's concussion sort of heals and, and he recovers the appropriate one. Aston Reese is kind of the wild card as the playoffs approach. Uh, when he gets healthy, where does he fit? Is there a plan for him, or does it just depend on the situation when he returns? Well, I think it depends a little bit on the situation when he returns. And right now, I mean, top six-wise, there's just no jobs open. If you get Sid and the kids going and the way Haglund's playing next to Malkin, forget about it. But they, they do need an upgrade on their fourth line. And the fourth line they're going to use tomorrow night is Tom Goonhackle, Josh Joris, and Carter Rowney. And that is not good, Mark. Um, so I feel like there's an opportunity there to win a job on the fourth line. Um preferably at left wing, but the way Aston Reese played, I don't see why he can't do it. He's an upgrade offensively over all three of those players, even if he is a rookie. How comfortable is Sullivan with Shane at left wing on the third line and with Joris centering the fourth line? And boy, moving Shane to left wing uh, further up the roster, that certainly makes Shane the New Day Cullen, doesn't it? (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I think what he's trying to do here is basically just shorten his bench without shorten his bench. You know, that fourth line is not going to see a lot of ice time. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Carter Rowney and, and Tom Kuhnackle might kill some penalties, but five on five, they're not going to do a lot. I, you know, maybe he uses Crosby and Malkin in that center spot, but I don't even know if it's worth wasting. I'd almost conserve the energy and just go with three lines and, you know, occasionally a couple times through, maybe you use the line, but. 
to me, he's sort of putting all of his eggs in a basket. I like Shane on that line for the reasons I said before with Broussard. It's a, more of a, a defensive conscious there. Broussard encourage him to um, you know, try a few more things if it's a 50-50 chance to, to lean more toward the offense. What does Connor Sherry have to do to stay on Sid's line even when everybody is healthy? You know what, Mark? I, I've thought this before, and I, I don't know if you agree with it or not, but I, I like Sid and the kids as a line together. I feel like it's taken Connor Sherry's value and, and putting it in the best place. But as far as him staying in a meaningful role, I mean, he has to be able to play with Sid one-on-one, two-on-one, whatever finishing chances and, you know, actually finishing them. Uh, sometimes we've seen Connor Sherry kind of disappear and not be much of a factor around the net and, and not be really with Sid where he's supposed to be. And um, last night, for whatever reason, or, or two nights ago, excuse me, he was terrific. He was, you know, seemingly locked in with a bunch of confidence. He lacked that earlier. So uh, I like the look of him being back with Crosby. I, I think there's a really good chance of that sticking, too. Well, I like that line when it works. But I think given the overall yeah. size of the line, and especially Sheary's size, and that he gets banged up and hurt uh, relatively often, I think that's always going to be a revolving door on that right wing. And I think that suits Sullivan fine, too, don't you, Makai? Because he likes dealing with pairs, and I think he sees Crosby and Gensel as a pair. Oh, and absolutely. And I think they should be a pair. I think that's a really smart move. And if you take Sherry off and put Hornquist on, which is generally what Sully likes to do, it's a nice, you know, sort of back and forth. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, maybe I don't want to call it a wake-up call to Sid because he doesn't need a wake-up call, but I think, you know, he gets a couple games with Hornquist or even a couple shifts, and he's probably ready to go back to a little bit more of a Sherry look. And, you know, that gets Sherry going. So, yeah, it's it's not a bad dynamic. I mean, I don't think it's a problem by any stretch, um, but – I do think this line is capable of getting hot, Mark. I don't think they've sort of clicked the way they did last March. And, you know, I know it's only one game. I'm not trying to overreact to that. But if they're able to find even a a shred of what they did last year, look out. We're talking to Jason Mackey. He covers hockey for the Post-Gazette. He's brought to you by Window Nation. Uh, Makai, how would you rate Chad Ruedel's play since he got in the lineup? And what are the coaches thinking about him? Yeah, well, uh, the second part of that one first, Mark, but they, they like him a lot. They like him a lot because I think Chad Ruedel has a very good grasp of what he is. Um, Chad Ruedel isn't trying to be Chris Letang or Justin Schultz or something like that. I mean, he, you know, most of the time makes the safe play, doesn't do a lot of stupid stuff out there, maintains a decent gap. He can, you know, they don't rely on him a ton with special team stuff, but he doesn't look bad doing it. Um, if they need to, to lean on him because someone had a shift and, and send him out there on the PK, he can handle himself. He's not an overly physical guy, but he's not really one to shy away from it. Um, I've just been impressed with how steady he's been. I, I see no reason at this point to go back to Hunwick. I mean, maybe Hunwick has a higher ceiling, but every time he's been in there, it's just been you know a lack of chemistry with Jamie Alexiak, a little bit more volatile or flailing around or however you want to term it, just like a little bit behind, and Ruedel has been much more calm back there. Why hasn't it worked with Hunwick? Because he was real good in Toronto, but he's doing nothing here. I mean, he's had maybe of his games, Makai, he's played okay. No better than okay in maybe a third of them and been worse than that in the rest. You know what has really surprised me about the Hunwick, Mark, is the skating. Like, he came here with such an advertisement of being a great skater. I've seen none of it. 
And I get the whole left side, right side thing, and I think he has been better on his left. We've talked about this, but um, I thought the skating would be a lot better than it has been. Um, and maybe, you know, I, I can't really speak for whether it's mental or not. I, I We certainly hear a lot of defensemen come in and say this is a tough system to grasp. It's just you usually don't hear it from a 32-year-old um, who's been around a couple places, and you wouldn't think that would be an issue with Hunwick. But um, it's been kind of mystifying. And, and we've seen Jamie Alexiak paired with Schultz. That's been fine. We've seen him paired with Ian Cole. That's been fine. Even Mata at times. And I don't understand why it hasn't quite clicked with Hunwick yet, but it certainly hasn't. And they're just, you know, he really hasn't found a partner to, to sort of develop chemistry with. And every time he's played, it's been a little bit off. Well, in that vein, it is clicking with Alexiak. Why do you think that is? Because Hunwick was good in Toronto, and Alexiak was crap in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, I think that's completely fair. Um, I think what they sort of tried to limit Alexiak doing in Dallas, they've encouraged him to do in Pittsburgh. Like You see a big guy like that, and you want him to play sort of a safe stay-at-home game and hit people or whatever. And Alexiak's capable of doing that, but I don't think that's his bread and butter. And the Penguins have really worked with him on, on a lot of stuff, but one, just encouraging him to shoot the puck more and step up. And uh, I'm not sure he got that freedom in Dallas. And, um, I think it's really working for him here. Probably getting away from Ken Hitchcock didn't hurt for, for that type of defenseman. And, um, I know they've also worked on him sort of a little bit of touch with his passes and how the way the way he sees things and makes passes. I think that was something that lacked in Dallas, but um, has sort of refined his game a little bit up here. Uh, the big factor for the defense may be Latang is starting to put it together, isn't he? Uh, good, consistent, still some mistakes, but his gambles are educated. I, I feel like he's playing smarter lately. I totally agree with you, Mark. And you know what's impressed me too about Latang is. Um, there are, there are less stupid gambles. You know, may, maybe that's what you're talking about, but I, I also think I just give him a lot of credit for keeping it a little bit simple. I mean, he's such a dynamic player and can do many do so many great things back there, but lately some of his best plays, moves, you know, things he's done have been not overly complicated. Like, he's willing to just sort of make the simple play, and I think that's a little bit of what Sullivan wanted to do in the summer. That message got kind of convoluted. But just Latang has done a very good job simplifying his game and taking what's there. And um, it's funny how that works out because he keeps doing that, and then all of a sudden, you know, he jumps up for for sees a shooting lane and takes advantage of it, or joins the rush, or does something that only he can do, and he's getting rewarded with points. I've just been I've been really impressed with the way he's turned his game around. And finally, Makai, do you agree that Evgeny Malkin, since January first, has been the best player in hockey, and what is making him that? Uh, completely agree that he's been the best player in hockey. Um, I think that one of the things that has made him that is his aggressive aggressiveness, aggressive mindset, however you want to put it, shooting the puck. And I, I really like the way that line has been constructed. As fun as Gino and Phil can be, I'm starting to see why it's important to have the two of them separate, just because it lets Gino be a little bit more of an alpha. And I, there's too many times they get caught up in the pretty stuff. And, you know, I think at this point, Mark, the, the Hart Trophy discussion, I, I don't, I, it tends to, the, that discussion is, you know, weird and convoluted and what we're actually discussing and what, what that award should be. But regardless, the best player in the NHL this season, I think Malkin absolutely has a case and has made a case in January 1. He's been terrific. Makai, great stuff. What's the weather like right now? Has it subsided at all, the blizzard? Yeah. 
It's actually worse, Mark. It's actually worse. So this is going to be a fun rest of the drive. This is definitely the highlight. It's all downhill from here. Are you in your car or a company car or a rental uh, car? Post-Gazette car. Yeah. Post-Gazette car. Do what I did in your position many years ago. Drive ahead haphazardly and with minimal fear. <laughs> you got it, pal. Thanks, Mark. That's Jason Mackey brought to you by Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two you buy. Plus, pay 0% financing for 18 months. Go to windownation.com. Don't forget, we have Derek Broussard of the Penguins, weather permitting, I suppose, at 4.30. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Go ahead, you can say it, because it's true, it's been true. Hey, Mark, love the show. Thank you for making my day. Yeah. The X at 105.9. As noted, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network says the Steelers will cut Mike Mitchell next week. Mitchell was slated to make $5 million in 2018. Rappaport says the Steelers might bring him back at a lower salary. Now, Ed Bouchette of the Post, because that has confirmed what Rappaport reported. He says the Steelers have contemplated moving strong safety Sean Davis to free safety, which was Mitchell's position, and or moving cornerback Cam Sutton to safety. You know, as I read stuff like that out loud, it makes me think they should just cut Bell and spend money on defense when you're talking about moving Cam Sutton from corner to safety and thinking that'll be good enough to help you get to a Super Bowl. Bouchette also says, among other possible veteran cuts by the Steelers, before the start of free agency are cornerback William Gay, safety J.J. Wilcox, quarterback Cody Sensabaugh, and wide receiver Darius Hayward Bay. I say cut them all and let God sort them out. It doesn't strike me that the Steelers would miss any of those four. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN says the Steelers informed J.J. Wilcox of their interest in him returning, which kind of contradicts Bouchette. He would be expected to have a chance to play more snaps and possibly start. Wilcox was acquired by the Steelers from Tampa Bay last year, but barely played upon arrival. Once again, as I said moments ago, if Sutton's switching to safety and gets a lot of snaps, you're in trouble. If J.J. Wilcox starts at safety, you're in trouble. No quarter brought to you by... CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. I want to hear from Pitt fans about Pitt's athletic department, administration, and boosters trying to screw the outgoing basketball coach, Kevin Stallings. He's due $9.4 million contractually on his buyout. Pitt's trying to fire him for cause because he yelled at that fan in Louisville and they only want to pay him $4.8 million. This is absolute crookery, skullduggery, treachery. They're trying to cheat Kevin Stallings. And uh, I'd love to hear from Pitt fans about this, but I won't because Pitt fans, the ones that are left, and there really aren't many, they're unrealistic. Either unrealistic or they turn a blind eye. 
Ergo, they don't like to respond to legitimate criticism. Pitt fans think Pitt athletics still matter in this time, and they don't, not much. Pitt fans think Pitt basketball is a prime job, but it's not. Pitt fans think that Tony Dorsett or Dan Marino is going to walk into that football locker room again one of these days, but neither one will be. Well, actually, the actual people, Dorsett and Marino, might. They're too old to help. But the only reason Pitt football was ever relevant, which was for only a very short period, was because Tony Dorsett got paid a gym bag full of money and his dad got a better job at the steel mill off the floor in exchange for him coming to Pitt. And because Dan Marino lived a couple blocks from Pitt and decided as a schoolboy, hey, this is where I'm going to play. Other than the Dorsett era and the Marino era, Pitt football hasn't meant bupkis. But Pitt fans just sit there and either ignore what I'm saying or deny it, but they certainly don't like to talk about it. Uh, At the NFL Combine, I love this story. One team asked Baker Mayfield what his favorite beer was in the interview. And he said, Michelob Ultra or Dosa Keys. Not my cup of tea or beer, but I, I got no problem with those choices. And when the Bears interviewed him, he said, you just drafted Mitchell Trubisky. What the freak do you want with me? And then they asked a running back, uh, a team asked a running back from LSU. Darius Gleis, is that his name? I don't know or care how to pronounce it. Darius Gleis is what it looks like. They asked him if he liked men, which means they think he likes men. They think he's gay. They wouldn't have asked otherwise. And they asked if his mother sold herself. Yikes. I'm not sure that, well, I know the NFLPA and the NFL is upset with those questions having been asked, but I got a a fair question. I think that a team shouldn't ask an NFL player if he's gay. Oh, it's Geis. Darius Geis. I don't think, you know, for reasons that are discussed all the time, it's nobody's business what your sexuality is. So an NFL team shouldn't ask a player if he's gay. But if you ran an NFL team, wouldn't you want to know? 412-333-9939, the number to call. In just a moment, we'll talk more about Pitt Athletics. And uh, we'll talk about Tiger Woods leading a tournament. Well, no, actually, somebody on the course just pulled ahead of him. But Tiger Woods is in second place in the Jabroni Open. Minus four. Two strokes back. 105.9.